0: Good morning. Good morning. It is Christmas morning. That feels so weird. It is so nice to be together as people that I know, maybe a few faces that I don't recognize yet. But I do have to admit, for me personally, this is the first time I have ever been to church on Christmas Day. Anyone else? Or is it just, okay, a few of us? Me, Clara? Okay, all right. Uh, and let alone preaching a message. On Christmas Day. But our plan today is to talk about and finish and conclude this series called Unexpected Gift. I had no better title for the sermon other than Merry Christmas. That's what I had, okay? So that's what we're going with. If you're visiting us for the first time, welcome. Thank you for being here with us, and if you have come here today and you come here regularly, welcome. And if you've brought your children, I like people talking back to the preacher, so I'm just going to assume that it's affirmation and amens, okay? So just know that. This morning, I like to take just a few moments in God's Word to remind us about why we celebrate Christmas. And this series, as I said, The Unexpected Gift, is a series that highlights the fact that while God From the fall of man made clear that there would need to be a Messiah to come and save God's people, God sent his gift of grace, and mankind really didn't understand or expect that gift to come in the form of God, taking off his royal robe and coming in the form of a baby, being tempted the way that we are tempted, and never sinning, not only by not doing anything wrong, but by doing everything right. And what was Jesus' reward for his perfect life lived? He was put on a cross. Because those who studied the scriptures, misinterpreted God's very words, and in their pride could not believe a lowly carpenter's son could be the Messiah that was promised. But there was one who kind of understood. Someone that the scripture said was the greatest of all people born naturally. And it turns out that this man also was related to Jesus as a blood relative. Here's what it says. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But Jesus, speaking in an earthly sense, makes this comment when it comes to those who could do right by God. John the Baptist was the best of the best. He was the best that the world has of those who were not physically God themselves. But John the disciple whom Jesus loves, the apostle spoke about John the baptizer at the beginning of his letter and pointed out very plainly what John came to do. Here's what it says in John chapter one. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, he's not speaking about himself, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John the Baptist came to do something and he was sent by God not to be the light, but to testify about that light so that all people could be able to believe in the true light. And while John was used by God, sent by God, and God with skin even said he was the best of all people born naturally, he could not justify himself. He could not be right before God because of anything that he does. As Jesus continues in Mark, he says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is making known that, once again, that your efforts in this life will never make you right with God. It's not about being religious. It's not about being trying really hard, but only by belief in the Son of God can make any of us citizens of heaven. Now, John the Baptist, or the baptizer, because some people are like, ah, Baptist, John the baptizer, as some call him, was really the last of the Old Testament prophets, who were pointing the way for who God would send to save his people. John came as a messenger to pave the way for the suffering servant that would come and stand in the gap for a world who could not work their way to God. And then Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before Jesus was born to Mary, says in chapter 40 of his letter, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then Malachi, the prophet, says it this way, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then let's look at how the disciple of Peter, his name was Mark, as we studied in the book of Acts, he was also referred to as John Mark, says it in his letter as he begins his gospel account. In Mark chapter 1 he says, the beginning of the good news, that means the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Mark quotes the prophets. He quotes both Malachi and Isaiah together because they're in agreement with one another. And then Mark continues, verse 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Hmm. Now John the baptizer in the wilderness, was preaching a message of baptism of repentance. But John knew that he was preaching an incomplete message, one that began what Jesus came to finish. He knew that people needed to understand their need, to understand their self-centeredness, and needed to realize that this world would never satisfy for what they were looking for. But if we change direction, the text says, Repent. If we change our mind, if we turn our attention to Jesus, then we begin this Christian life. It is by faith that we come to Christ, and as I said last night in the Christmas Eve service, faith is not what you can do for Jesus, amen, faith is not what you can do for Jesus, but it is to look to Jesus. Mark's comments, both on John the Baptist's appearance and his diet, seem to be kind of messed up, right? Like, if I started to speak about your appearance and your diet, people would feel like I was casting shade upon you. But that's not what Mark's doing here. He was mentioning the fact that John the Baptist was what? Simplistic. He was simplistic in his dress. He didn't need to show off. He didn't need anything other than what he could piece together on God's green earth. He had a simple message, and he had simple appearance. He didn't need more than that because he didn't have more than that to do. He lived with what he needed, not what he wanted, because he knew he needed God, and so he lived with that in mind. Now this is also evidenced by his diet. It's easy to see him as a crazy guy for eating insects and honey. Hmm. But the guy knew what he needed. He needed protein and carbs, right? This was meat and potatoes, essentially. He ate what he gathered. He didn't need luxury because he knew his purpose to be a messenger of the one who was to come. Now, while I prefer the ribs and mashed potatoes that we're going to eat for Christmas, is that right, sweetie? Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) I think she's like, we didn't get mashed potatoes. Ah. John the Baptist ate what he gathered. He didn't need luxury. And we will have this dinner tonight, and the way I dress, especially this morning, is in my pajamas and my Christian McCaffrey jersey, go Niners. I absolutely idolize John the Baptist knowing his purpose and living with it on his mind as much as he did. Mark chapter 1 verse 7 says, and this was his message After me comes the one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, without saying it a different way, was essentially the original Jesus guy who pointed everything to the Messiah. John knew that he wasn't anything in comparison to the coming Messiah, even though Jesus says that he was the greatest of all born naturally. But John knew he was only eligible for the kingdom of God, not because of his religion, not because of his good works, but because of his relationship with the Messiah. But like the series' name suggests, while John the Baptist knew he was the precursor to the Messiah, even he, Jesus' actual cousin, was not sure that Jesus was the coming Messiah. Here's what it says in Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Even John, the last of the Old Covenant prophets, the messenger in the desert, who was personally related to Jesus as their moms were sisters, was not completely sure that his cousin was the one that was expected. Isaiah says it this way when it comes to regarding identifying who the coming Messiah would be. He says in Isaiah 35, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then he goes on in chapter 61, he says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Isaiah had prophesied many hundreds of years prior to Jesus' earthly ministry about how you could and would identify the Messiah. And what does Jesus tell John's disciples? Matthew 11, verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed amongst the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus' point to what the prophet Isaiah said was... The reality, he was making, he was making the, fa- the point that he was the one that Isaiah had spoken about, and he added, he will cleanse leprosy, and he will raise the dead. But I want to bring to your attention to the final thing that this text says. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on Jesus's account. That could be read a few different ways, but let me help you understand the implied meaning. Jesus said, and I, I, need you to, I need you to hear this. Jesus says that the blessed are those that do not allow excuses of this world to ruin their walking with him. The atheist, the agnostic, the people who claim to not have any faith have excuses, have offenses that they deem more trustworthy to believe than Jesus. And Jesus wants each of his followers to know that while excuses and questions will come up, to continue to look to Jesus by faith, not just for our salvation, but as he sanctifies and perfects us into his image, we will be blessed. Our faith will be strengthened and our Christ-likeness will progress, but it's not gonna be easy. Listen, it's not a sin to have doubt. Okay? It's just not. But it is sinful to allow those doubts to be more trustworthy to you than Jesus, the one who lived, the one who died, and the one who rose from the dead. But church, this Christmas Day, this last Sunday of 2022, I want to remind you that the gospel that we continue to preach to you all the time, that our gospel, the good news, is that while we were at our worst— Christ died for us. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect life lived, died a sacrificial death in my place to pay for my sins and to pay for your sins, past, present, future. And Jesus rose from the dead so that we, as his people, if we've trusted Christ, too, can rise in eternity with him. Jesus rules and reigns in many, among many do not notice, do not care, do not believe. But you, church, you have been gifted with the greatest gift. And some of you have already opened presents this morning. Some of you are going to go home and open presents after the service. But you've already been gifted the greatest gift if you trust in Jesus, which is this. It is the grace and the faith that you have with God, in God with skin, Jesus Christ, who we now have the opportunity to identify our lives by. And we will walk with him. He will guide us. He will lead us by his Holy Spirit. And I hope that as you spend time today celebrating, maybe with friends, maybe with family, that you would also spend time this morning and this day spending time thanking God for the grace and the faith that he has given you to trust him. Malik, I'm going to invite you up. That was my shortest sermon in the history of my life. But I say all of that to point us back to why do we do this? Why did we get up this morning? Why are we here? Not to check a box, but to remember and to enjoy and to celebrate that our Lord lived the life we couldn't, died the death we should have died, and physically rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And church, check it out. One day he's coming back. And I'm excited about that because I'm with him. And I'm sinful and I'm broken and I'm messed up. And yet God is doing a work in me to reconcile me back to him. And he's proving that by helping me grow to look more like him. And so if that's you today, if you have trusted Jesus, celebrate him this morning. If you are yet to commit your life to him, I'd encourage you to maybe bow a knee personally to close your eyes, to speak to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've sinned against you and I I need you. But today is a great day to celebrate the reality that Jesus has come and that he is alive and that we get to worship him. And so let me pray and we will sing one more song together as Malik leads. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you got us out of bed. I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to worship together. Lord, I thank you for all the wee little children. I thank you that there is the opportunity for us to gather and that many of us feel like family to one another and that's not because we're in pajamas on Christmas morning. It's because we're bound by your blood. And so thank you for adopting us. Thank you for the grace that you've given us. Thank you for the faith that you've given us to trust you. May we live our lives recognizing and looking to the reality that it's all about you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.